where we left things off last week within the Christmas narrative is that Mary and Joseph have made their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Caesar went on an ego trip and wanted to tax everyone. So he issued this decree. Everyone had to go to their hometown to be registered. Mary is very pregnant at this point, but Joseph and Mary make the long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem. And again, this is their hometown. They have a lot of family. It should be very easy for Mary and Joseph to find a place to lodge, a place to stay. Aside from family opening their door, which would be the natural thing, just Jewish tradition and the law stipulated that visitors, sojourners were to be brought into the homes. Hospitality with the law of God was a very important thing, not just for the fellow Jew, but for the sojourner, the foreigner. If you had room, you were to demonstrate hospitality. So for us to find Mary and Joseph in a situation where there is no room in the inn, and this is not the La Quinta, it's not the Holiday Inn Express, but there's not a guest room. That's what the word means. Anywhere in town. Now, Bethlehem's not a big place, and it's, it's no doubt the population has swelled. But this is a woman, even if you're like, yeah, Joe, you got to sleep out back, but we're going to make room for Mary because look at her. She's very pregnant, and she just walked a long way. Her feet are swollen, right? But no, there's no room. And so they find themselves not in some Thomas Kincaid-like picturesque stable out on the hillside. No, they find themselves more unlikely in the recesses of a very dark, damp, unsanitary cave. Only light Aside from the, the stars, the moon that might be gleaning at the, the entryway to the, to the cave is probably a small lantern, some type of candlelight of some sort. Again, this was a cave designated purely to, to keep animals. It's a stable. It's not meant for pregnancy. There's no OBGYN. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. There's no machines. There's not even a midwife. In fact, where we left things off Verse 7 of chapter 2, just the way it's structured in the Greek, and she, and the emphasis there, that the pronoun is she, Mary, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and, which links it back to she, it's, it's describing her activity, she brought forth, she delivered Jesus. That's crazy. I mean, it's necessary. She didn't have a choice. I'm sure Joseph did his best. The man's never delivered a baby. He has no idea what he's doing. At some point, Mary was probably like, Joe, go sit down. You're no help. I'll handle it. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And she then proceeds to wrap him in swaddling clothes. Your babies come out pretty gross. Pretty disgusting. I, I was not prepared for the second birth. You know, when Quincy came out and the doctor, the nurses, they take him over to the table, you're just like, whoa. And you're following him. And then at some point, very soon after, there's another scream. And you're like, oh, I have a wife in here. And you look back over and she's birthing some. At the first time, I'm like, there were twins. No, it's the placenta and the other stuff that comes out. But Mary... Jesus comes out. She's got to cut the umbilical cord. 
and there's whatever water they're trying to clean him to sanitize him as much. And then she's got to burp the other stuff. The damage, the pain. They clean him up. She wraps him in swaddling clothes, literally just strips of cloth. Did they come prepared? Did they find swaddling clothes tucked into the back of, of the stable? Unlikely. Joseph's probably taking some type of a garment that they had, and he's tearing the strips in order to swaddle little baby Jesus. And they laid him in a manger. Now, I would imagine that there's a little more details. They wrap him in swaddling clothes, and then what happens? My guess is there's some time where Mary lays there, cuddling and holding Jesus. Again, it's, it's not in the text, but it is in the story. This 15, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, this maiden, her life totally changed by the, by the announcement of the angel Gabriel. Yes, favored, yes, blessed, yes, chosen by God to, to be the mother of, of the Messiah. Having all of these prophecies uttered by Gabriel and then all the confirmation coming from Elizabeth and the encounter with, with, with her family, her kin, that, that identifies my Lord. This will be my Lord, my Savior. And then Joseph getting the whole story again from an angel in a dream, confirming it all. Here she is, and yes, that night did not play out like she would have anticipated, like she would have envisioned. And yet there she is. There's an exhale, a moment. Well, we made it. We're here. And she holds that baby boy between her breasts, tight to her bosom. As a mother, what must that scene have been like? Joseph sitting just to the side, the awe, the wonder. God made flesh. They knew his identity, Emmanuel. What was it like the first time that Jesus pooped? God pooped? <laughs> to feed the child. God. Again, as mentioned, the insight that God humbled himself to become man. That God, Jesus, would have to take sustenance from a woman. And that his entire protection, his care, his vitality is dependent upon these two teenagers. That God would draw up such a scene. And they lay him in a manger. Obviously, Mary has had a night. <laughs> At some point, as with all mothers, take him. I need to close my eyes for a moment. I need to, maybe she needs to take care of herself physically. There's a moment that they lay him in the manger. They've got to get the, the, the stable prep for the evening. And then the scene shifts for us. We kind of, the way that Luke writes this, we have this scene, and Mary delivered her firstborn, uh, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. We imagine that there's a whole lot of other things that are going on. There's a lot of exercise and commotion. 
but the scene shifts. So as that's going on, as these things are continuing to unfold, we shift over, not too far. We're still location Bethlehem. But we read verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel, the singular angel, likely Gabriel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angel had gone away, from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Shepherds. Growing up, I don't know if your church did this, we've done it a few times in the past, this time of year, doing a nativity, a live nativity. As a kid, I mean, you had some options. You didn't want to be Joseph <laughs> because you'd have to be close to a girl and they got cooties and then there's a baby and you're going to have to look tender. I mean, no one on the hierarchy of characters wants to be Joe. But then you're like, well, what else? Now, the best jobs, best roles in the nativity were the farm animals. <laughs> Let's be honest. They were the best roles. You wanted to be a donkey wanted to be a lamb. Like those were great. You didn't have to say anything. And you could just kind of wander around. Primo for a little boy. But if those roles were distributed to other friends, you had to choose between now the wise men and the shepherds. And the wise men, again, on the totem pole of characters, they just, they wore too much. They had to wear these fancy hats and had to carry around gifts, and, and there was just too much rigmarole and attire, and mom just cared too much what you looked at, looked like, to be a wise man. The sweet spot was to be a shepherd, because, I mean, basically, mom had to just cut a hole in the top of a pillowcase with some arms, and then whatever leftover fabric existed, you just kind of threw as a shawl, and they gave you a stick that you could hit people with. I mean, to be a shepherd, I mean, that was, again, sweet spot. We glorify shepherds when we think of the nativity, when we think of the Christmas story. And these are the first people, mind you, that are notified that Jesus has arrived. I mean, yes, Mary and Joseph, they're in on it. They're a part of it. Zacharias, Elizabeth know a general time frame. But the first pronouncement that God has finally come to humanity happens in the same country, in the fields, with a group of shepherds doing what shepherds do, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And we glorify the shepherds. 
we think, what a great group of guys. I mean, these are the guys that Jesus chose to make the first announcement. Wonderful. And, and the Bible kind of sometimes convolutes shepherds for us. Because we think, well, obviously it would be shepherds. I mean, think about the, the notion of shepherds within the greater story, the greater arc of Scripture. I mean, the father of one's faith, Abraham, was a what? He was a shepherd. And like the first two kids that came out, you had Cain, you got Abel. One was wicked and the other guy was a shepherd. It didn't work out well for him. He was Abel, but he took from, he was a shepherd. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac, shepherd. Joseph, Jacob, the family, shepherds. This is why when they get to Egypt, they got to be given their own territory because the Egyptians hated shepherds, but God's people were shepherds. And then, you, and then you get into like deeper into the narrative of the Old Testament and like the heroes, shepherds, David, King David, the Davidic line, the Messiah would come through his, David was a what? A shepherd. Jesus would call himself later the what? The good shepherd, which should be interesting. And that should give us a clue because he had to, he had to make it known. He didn't say, I'm the shepherd. He's like, I'm the good shepherd. Why? Because culturally, there were no good shepherds. Like, like, like you got to kind of break to a degree culturally with this rosy idea of the shepherds. And the way we've kind of whitewashed them, we've cleaned them up, we've sanitized them. Looking back historically, by the first century, by this scene, shepherds were the lowest of the low when it came to society. Like shepherds, a better scene for a shepherd. Think of a shepherd as like a land pirate. It's kind of what they were. When shepherds came to town to go to the saloon, Everyone grabbed their kids and they ran inside. Shepherds are coming in. Button up the hatches. Stuff's going to get stolen. Make sure your car's in the garage. The shepherds are here. They were vagabonds. They were evil. They were wicked. In fact, they were barred from the temple. They were determined to be unclean. They were unsavory. No one in the first century grew up as a mom hoping that their kids would be shepherds. I love for little Johnny to be a shepherd. No! Like that was, that was the job of, of last resort in a, in, in a big extent. In fact, as far as like the caste system of society, even within Jewish society, you had only one group of people below shepherds, and that was lepers. That was the only other group of people. That's the type of societal disdain, distrust. In fact, shepherds, shepherds, their testimony, they were such untrustworthy, unsavory, that their testimony was not admissible in the court of law. Why? Because they're shepherds. Can't trust a shepherd. They're gypsies. They're carnies. Those are the shepherds. They've got no contact with their family. Lots of them are runaways. And they're in the field of Bethlehem keeping watch over flocks, sheep, at night. These men are likely a few drinks past tipsy. They're outcasts. 
They've been kicked out of society. And it's these people that God in this crazy story is like, I need to make an announcement. <laughs> That's how I think. This angel, right? I, I, we assume he's Gabriel. We don't know. We're not given his identity, but there's an angel. And this angel, I don't know when they had the discussion, when he was chosen. There could have been a job interview at some point in heaven where God's kind of explaining to the angelic host how the plan's going to work out and all the different roles. And Gabriel, he always gets the best parts. You know, he gets to make the announcement to Mary and he gets, he gets to show up in the temple to Zacharias. Gabriel gets all the good jobs. But this one angel's like, well, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a role, the announcement angel. Like the angel that gets to announce to the world that the Savior's here. I want that part. He auditions. He gets his lines. He works, works hard, mulls them over, and he gets chosen. You're going to be that angel. Now, that's exciting. I mean, that's quite an honor. So this angel for, let's just say, 400 years is working on his part. You know, he's ready. He feels like he can nail it. He's tried it in various accents because he doesn't know where he's going to show up. Tried a few languages. And so there's the Tay. It comes, Jesus, boom. He's like, all right. And there's this big curtain. That's a curtain on his side, I'm assuming. On the other side, it's, it's the sky. I guess that's how that works. The interdimensionality, you figure it out. So he's there. Jesus gets his drink of water. He's ready. He's making the announcement that Jesus is here. Guy with the headset, the angel with the headset, he's on the side. He's like, five. And then the curtain parts. It, this is not the temple. This is not mainland China. There's not, this is not Rome. First, he's, he's struck by there's no one here but a bunch of sheep. And he's not even in a city or a populace. He's out in the country. And he got to kind of focus in on shepherds? Uh, am, I, am I at the right stage? Like, it was this the right? Like, there has to be a moment of like, no, I've been practicing for this. They won't even hear. They're drunk. They're stooping around. And they've stopped because, you know, angel shows up. Even the lambs are looking at him like, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, I know, I'm not supposed to be here. This is the wrong stage, the wrong scene. Even from the angelic mindset, you'd be like, no, this is a joke, right? You guys got me in the wrong skit. This is some mighty Python version of the Christmas story. They're shepherds. Shepherds. Keeping watch over their flocks. And then, and then look, I mean, you got to get the angel, he says, do not be afraid. And why? Because the previous verse closes, they were greatly afraid. Literally, they're terrified. Because if you're a shepherd with what we understand of the shepherds, you're like, this is, this is it. This is the moment I knew it was coming that God's going to squish me. Like, they know their life. We're sinners. We're the worst of the worst. We've kind of quit trying. 
That's why we're shepherds. Can't go to the temple. God said he's done with us. We're completely separated. We're alienated. Again, truest sense, outcasts. And an angel shows up, I'd freak out too. I think my mom warned me for years. There would come a day I'd get smoked. The rabbi in the synagogue, sinners in the hands of an angry Jehovah. Do not be afraid because they're terrified. These men. They know they don't deserve angelic presence. The conclusion immediately has got to be judgment. They're horrified. Immediately, the scene runs into their mind of all the things they're about to get whacked for. This is a mafioso hit. Do not be afraid. For behold, and that's kind of an old way of saying, think about this. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, which is a way of saying like, what I'm about to tell you, don't be afraid. I got good things to share. And these good things, not just for you, but this will be good for everyone, meaning you're the first people to find out. So buckle up, campers. Why? What's the good tidings? What will provide great joy? For there is born to you this day, like right now, In the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And and the angel here has told us a lot, told the shepherds a lot. There is born to you this day, not just a normal baby, not just a normal child, not just a normal individual. There is born to you this day, yeah, it's a baby, born. But this baby is a Savior, the Savior Christ, Messiah the Lord. I mean, at what point are you as a shepherd looking over at your buddies thinking, are you seeing this? Are you hearing this? You're looking at your, at your, your goat rum. I don't know what they're drinking, but, you know, they're like, what in the world is going on? Am I hallucinating? What's happening? And why are you telling me this? Like, what do you expect from me? This is great. There's a Savior, Christ the Lord, the Messiah. Bro, I can't even go to the temple and pray. I, my sacrifices are rejected. I can't, I'm, an, I'm done. Gonzo. Me, lepers. Great news, good tidings, but, but for me, I mean, that ship probably sailed a while ago. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then at the scene, got trippier, boom. The rest of the choir, you know, this is kind of like an epic queen song where there's some foot stomping and clapping and, and then all of a sudden the electric guitar comes roaring in at a really awkward place later in the song. The angelic hosts come roaring in. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And the idea here is that this is a continual refrain. This is not like one chorus and we're out. Like they're working this one. We don't know how many angels, just a multitude of the heavenly hosts. How do we have this story, by the way? One of the shepherds, he's like, man, as he's recalling the story, one angel turned into a bunch. 
I have no idea. Just we'll call it a heavenly host for the record. Dozens, more than dozens, singing. And then, and then I love the way verse 15 is structured. So it was when the angels had gone away from them. The, the idea is not just that the angels, one angel shows up, the rest of the angels come marching in, and then they get done with the song, and back to dark sky. This, this phrase that's used, had gone away, is that they just slowly started going away. Like, did they just kind of twinkle back out into the stars? I would have loved to have seen that. And, and again, you're the shepherds like, you're waiting for a moment that you can turn to your buddies and say, did, huh? But you're not going to open your mouth till the last one's gone. You know, I can imagine that last angel's just messing with them, like, you know, back and forth, not gone yet. But then they go away, and they're all gone, back into heaven. And that's when the shepherds speak. They say to one another, let's go. Let's go. Now, in the announcement that's made, yes, there's a declaration of truth that's presented. The angel says something that is absolutely true, whether uh, your perspective agrees with it or not. There is born to you this day. It doesn't matter if you agree, if you believe, if you don't. There is born to you this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm informing you of the reality of the situation. If you're the shepherd, you're like, I'm not quite sure. Don't care. There's a declaration of truth. This is what's happened. This is the implication. It's a savior. Last time I checked, you guys needed saving. And there's a Messiah, Christ the Lord. God has just provided you a savior, friend. That's the truth. And then what does the, the angel do? He provides an invitation. Here's the sign. There's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. There's a savior, then there's an invitation. The pronouncement, an invitation, go and find him. Now, I mentioned this last week, and, and, and I, I want to be careful not to be like dogmatic to something that you can't be dogmatic about, because the text doesn't tell us. It's, it's an inference. It's kind of just connecting the dots, and, and maybe this goes back to me being a middle school pastor for years. I love to get in a story. I love to unpack a story, imagine the story, especially these type of stories where you're just, you're so familiar with them, you lose your imagination altogether, and that happens. That's a familiarity breeds content type of thing, but for me, it's like, again, it's weird. There's no room for them in the end. They end up in a stable, which is meant for animals, preferably sheep in this part of the world. Shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. The, the most obvious thing is, well, no. Like, that's not what you did. Like, you had a stable for the night. Not for the daytime. The daytime, you can see all the sheep. You can see predators approaching. You can control the situation during the daytime. Plus, that's when the metabolism of animals, they typically eat during the day. They sleep at night. Like, the idea of shepherds in the fields at night in general is odd, and it should have struck, again, that society as being odd. To be like, well, that's, that's a bunch of weird shepherds. And so for me, the link is, well, okay, you've got Mary and Joseph, they end up in a stable that's empty, and then you have shepherds in a field. 
And then as we'll see, the shepherds in the field, the angel's like, hey, there's a savior born to you this day. And then the invitation, go, here's the sign. And as, as the angel goes through it, babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, not a good place for a baby. Like they don't have any problems finding the scene. Again, this is an inference. I think the reason is that they intentionally vacated the stable. Because these men, deplorable, sinners, outcasts, you know, I, found, I have found that those type of people carry with them a huge amount of empathy. You know the people that aren't empathetic? The snooty, hoity-toity, religious do-gooders that think they're better than everybody else. When you know you're not better than anybody, there's empathy. When you think you're better than everyone, there isn't. You know the easiest way to find somebody that is that is that is that they're religious and they're going to hell is when you look at the way that they treat people because it doesn't line up. It's like, man, you're the person that will stand there one day and Jesus will say, I don't know you. You didn't treat people like I do. I think the shepherds, it makes total sense that the shepherds, last resort, they're bringing their flocks in. Joseph shows up with a very pregnant Mary, and he's like, guys, I, can you make some room for us? I, I'm out of options. Well, why are you out of options? Dude, it's a long story. There, there was angels involved. This isn't my kid. It's God's. I know. They're like, oh, you all need some help. The shepherds are in a field, and then the angel shone around them. The glory of the Lord filled the space. And then they're given an invitation, and they know exactly, like, oh, they're in our stable. <laughs> no kidding. And then what? Let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The word haste is an urgency, but with like a deliberate intention. Like they're not wandering around. Again, they come with haste. Like, we know exactly where this is. Let's go see this. Now we know who's there. So they come with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. Just as the angel said, lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. You know, a lot of, a lot of things changed when it comes to hospital protocols following COVID. So maybe for some of you younger cats, you don't, you don't, you're not gonna, that's not gonna resonate. But the people my age that have had kids, you know, you get to the hospital, I don't know how long it took, baby's out, good, and you're immediately like, it's nice, it's thoughtful, but really, let's be real, you know what you don't want? Visitors. People showing up. Now you're like, there's, there's the ones we can't just kick out, mom and dad, 
the siblings. Oh, good grief, the pastor showed up. Trust me, I didn't want to be there any more than you wanted me there. Most babies are ugly. <laughs> that was the most controversial thing I've said this morning. <laughs> it is true, most babies are ugly, are ugly but mine. They were, <laughs> they were, I had three beautiful babies. Some of you have had aliens, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> Not you, Ashton, your kids are beautiful. You don't want visitors, let's be real. And back at, like, now it's great. You're like, no, nah, it's COVID protocol, you know, you can't, you gotta suit up. You, you, you can see us in four months. <laughs> but, like, you just don't want visitors. Can you imagine the moment? Mary's gone through a thing. Joseph's gone through a thing. They're trying to settle in for the night. And the shepherds show up. There's a knock at the entry of the cave. Joseph kind of, like, leans out. What's up, guys? Dude, angel, glory, light, shone around thing. You didn't tell us who the baby was. We've come, we, we've come to see. Give me a minute, man. I got. Let me go talk to her. You go back. Hey, hon, we got some visitors. I'm really, I, I, I don't have my face on. I look rough. Yeah, I know. But, like, I guess God decided to announce this to them. You can take it up with the baby daddy later, you know. First visitors, man. The shepherds. And they see. Again, there is a proclamation of truth, an announcement. Then there's an invitation to seek it out. And what do the shepherds do? They're like, what do we have to lose? Everybody's shunned us. Everybody's rejected us. We can't go to the temple. We can't worship God. We've been cut off. And yet God has sent an angel into, into our situation, into our darkness, into our plight. He said, hey, Guess what, guys? There's a Savior. His name's Jesus. I'd like to invite you to go search it out. He'll change your life. And these men are like, man, I got nothing to lose. And then they go, and they accept it. They receive it. And how do we know that? Let's close with this. Verse 17, in response to the whole thing, when they had seen him, and the idea behind seeing is, is like this acceptance. It wasn't that they just viewed him. They, they, they saw him. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Again, the angel has told them who the child is. They've accepted that. Now they're going to let everyone know. And those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. It's the middle of the night. <laughs> the shepherds go and have an encounter with Jesus. And they're like, God gave us a savior and then included us in the story. This is incredible. This is awesome. And then they go. Did the angel tell them to do this? No, this was the natural response. God just changed their life. And guess what? They wanted everyone to know. And they go into Bethlehem, and they're telling everyone they can. They go to the bar. They go to the other shepherd club. Like, they're letting everybody, guys, you have no idea what just happened to us. This is insane. Guess what? There's a Savior. There's hope. We can be saved. This is amazing. And the people in the town, they marvel. 
what just got into these shepherds? We we're never told where the sheep are. <laughs> Notice that. You know, they, we're, we're told that they go back praising God and glorifying for all the things they said and searching for the flocks that are now scattered across the countryside. Amazing. You know, you can truly tell when someone has seen Jesus. When someone has responded to the invitation, not just accepted, this is the thing I like. Yes, there's truth. It doesn't matter about your perspective, but there's always an invitation to look and see. Like God never just tells us to look blindly, to accept something ignorantly. There's truth. He doesn't care if you accept it or not in that sense. It's not going to change the truth of it. But there's an invitation like, hey, I bet if you search and see, if you search, you look, you'll see, and it'll change your life forever. And they responded. And you know that they had this encounter, and you can always tell, because you can't shut up about it. Especially to all the other people that need to hear it as well. Those who have seen Invite others to come and see. I love that. If you're in Bethlehem and it's the shepherds, you got to be thinking to yourself, something happened. Because these are the last group of people. It'd be like being in downtown Winder. Nine o'clock, you're at Bistro. You're enjoying dinner with some friends. And you hear from the distance, <laughs> and come riding down Broad Street right there like a hundred hell's angels, tatted up, leather. Their women are wearing clothes about four sizes too small. Chaps, big beards, they smell like weed, and they come blowing right into Winder, and they just fill up the main drag, and they jump out, and you're like, what's going to happen? There's going to be a shootout. This is a gang hit, and they come right up to the window, opening up the door, there's a Savior, man. And his name is Jesus. You guys can go see. He saved us. He included us into his story. I mean, you would be blown away. That's what happens here. The shepherds come riding in on their, on their Harleys, testifying that they encountered Jesus. Incredible. And then you're Mary. And I love the way that it kind of closes there. That we're told that Mary, she, she sees all this. And she ponders it in her heart. Like she holds this deep. And, and, then, and then, you know, part of the Christmas story that, that just gets overlooked is what happens in the days that follow this scene. It's easy to go from this scene and then jump over to the wise men. 
right? Because, you know, the wise men are part of the Christmas story. They don't show up for two years. In fact, when we do our Christmas nativity at our house, we put the wise men in the, in the, in the kitchen. You think I'm kidding. That's an actual thing that happens in our house. We also put, they're hollow, so we put baby Jesus up into Mary because they think it's funny to shake out Jesus when we're reading the story. <laughs> we have an imagination in the Adam's house. But like it's so easy for us to be like, oh, well, let's throw the wise men into the Christmas story. But do you know there's a whole scene between the two? Shepherds wise, that we don't include. Priest named Simeon and a righteous woman named Anna. And Mary, who's pondering these things, they'll take Jesus to be circumcised the eighth day, and then they'll wait for her purification to be completed on the 40th day, and they go to the temple. And this is a story most people overlook. But as Mary's pondering these things, man, there's more coming that we'll look at next week. So, Father, thank you for your word.